Hey, welcome to The Conversation. This is Andy Mason, and you're listening to Authentic Conversations around the messy intersection of faith, family, and business. And it is messy at the moment. It is messy globally. It is messy locally from all of the things that uh, I don't need to tell you about. It's it's real. Uh, personal, uh, professional, business, city, and the world. And if I don't have a firm grasp of my anchor, my spiritual authority, my spiritual identity, I will find myself being spun in so many different directions. Uh, just last week, I uh, I have got friends in Ukraine and friends in Russia, and I was watching the news every morning just to see what's going on, what's going on. And I found after a couple of days, I was getting so unstable, so many things I cannot control and realized I had let go of the one thing that is unchanging is my spiritual authority, my spiritual identity that gets anchored every single day when I first seek what God is saying. So here's what we're doing today is we are giving you a copy of Spirit Wars, which is a session that Chris Valentin did at a Heaven and Business conference. I know it's going to be valuable for you, but even more, uh, at the bottom of the show notes, you'll find a link to Chris's personal website where he put together a series of videos that are really, really helpful and so important for you if you're going to engage faith, family, and business. This will anchor you and give you some keys to know how to fight spirit wars first with all that's going on. So I bless you. I pay peace to your house and make sure you share this with others, post a review, and we will talk again next week. You know, uh, I want to say a couple of things about spiritual warfare. I hope it's not offensive, but it's just my observation. Having wrote a book, um, Spirit Wars, and, and having been um, through two crashes, major crashes in my life when I was, um, I'll tell you, I guess I'll start just tell you a part of my story. Like, when you write a book, most, most publishers want to know, like, what qualifies you to write this book? And they're thinking, like, letters after your name. <laughs> so when I wrote the book, Spirit Wars, they, they sent me this form. They said, okay, what qualifies you to write this book? And I said, well, I was demonized for three and a half years as a Christian. <laughs> so, you know, not exactly the house of the rising sun, if you know what I mean. So, so I said, I think I'm, um, I think I'm qualified to write this book because um, demons lived in me for three and a half years as a Christian. I don't know if they actually lived in me. That's another, that's for smarter people than me. I just know it felt like they did. And so, um, I, you know, I, when I was, um, I got, I, I met my wife when she was 12. We got engaged when she was 13. We got married when she was 17. So we waited a lot of years to get married. It felt like forever, but we were both really young. And um, we had the most wonderful, you know, people say about marriage, like the first year is so tough. And like, it wasn't tough for us. Like we just had the most beautiful first year of our marriage. And then the second year I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> that lasted three and a half years I mean if you're going to have one have one right like, don't mess around with like I had a nervous breakdown it lasted a week that's not a nervous breakdown that's a burp in your spirit <laughs> and so I was uh, I, did, I, I was a, obviously I was a Christian I, I loved Jesus and um, one day uh, the way it started is I was working a lot of hours managing a repair shop and I went home one night late and my wife was uh, eight months pregnant, and um, I got in the bathtub, and I was taking a bath, and when I went to get out of the bathtub, I had this thought that I was going to die. Now, you know, 
I've had lots of thoughts. So I'm going to die. I'm sure you all know you're not, you're not going to live forever on the planet. You're going to, you know what I'm trying to say. It wasn't that kind of thought. It wasn't like a philosophical or, or thought about, oh, I'm going to die someday. It was like someone put a gun to my head and said, I'm going to kill you right now. And um, I, my heart started pounding out of my chest. I fell back into the bathtub. I, I literally could not get strength to get out of the bathtub. I thought I was having a heart attack. I started yelling for my wife, who was very, a very sick, eight months pregnant, lost weight through the seventh month, kind of pregnant. So she you know, waddled into the bathroom and tried to help me out of the tub and couldn't get me out of the tub and called our doctor, and, who was a friend of ours, and and he's, you know, and she's like, my husband's having a heart attack, having a heart attack. And, you know, he said, whoa, wait, 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 take his pulse, tell me what his symptoms are. And within about two minutes, he said, that's not a heart attack, that's a panic attack. He's not going to die. It's going to be okay. And um, that was the first panic attack I ever had, and I started having about 50 of them a day. And I had, I would, um, I'd sweat the bed wet at night, my wife, my Poor pregnant wife would get up in the middle of the night and change the sheets, and I would soak the bed all the way to her side and couldn't sleep. And I went months with sleeping an hour or two hours a night. And so we decided that we'd move to um, Trinity County, Weaverville, a little tiny town. Actually, we moved to a town called Lewiston with 900 people. And I thought, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me. And I was, so for about, I, you know, for about a year, I just tried to um, do what I knew to do. and you know, I went, obviously, I saw my doctor the next day. He gave me, basically gave me Valium tranquilizers. That didn't, you know, all it did is make me numb. It didn't solve my problem. And so we moved to a little town called Lewiston. And um, we knew about Lewiston because we had, on our honeymoon, we had went to Lewiston to go fishing. We didn't know anybody there. And I was so distressed. I said, I need to find some place like where the birds fly slow, you know, like, we lived in San Jose. It was just so crazy. And I thought, this, maybe if I get in a place that's slow, I'll get well. So we got to Lewiston. Um, a long, another long story. By the way, I worked every day. So it was like I would work during the day. And as long as I kind of kept busy, the anxiety would reduce so that I could at least think. And, but the nights were just horrible. So we got to Lewiston. That's a whole other long story. But the part of the story I want to tell you is instead of getting better, it got worse. When the environment around me slowed down, it amplified what was going on inside of me. And, and then in, instead of just being physical, um, it started to become spiritual. And I, maybe it started spiritual, I don't know. But um, demons started to visit me. It wasn't illusions. It wasn't like I was, I was starting to you know, have, have hallucinations. There were actual demons that would knock pictures off the wall and turn lights on and off in my house were visiting me. Like my wife would be there and the lights would go on and off. Pictures would fall off the wall by themselves. Whole wall full of pictures would just fall off simultaneously. And I started having visions of doing horrible things to my, to my family, to my friends. And, and I was just completely distressed, didn't know what to do. And, you know, in those days, if you told somebody what was going on, they put you in a mental hospital. Mike, I don't want to be in a mental hospital. Um, and so um, this is a much longer story. And because I'm taking this to a different place, I, 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 I'm not ashamed of the story of just going somewhere else with it. So 
uh, you know, I couldn't keep food in, in me. I weighed 135 pounds. It was just not good. Couldn't sleep. And, um, and the visions were getting worse and worse. And uh, one night, I used to get up in the middle of the night. And again, we were living in the mountains, so it was really hard to get radio or television in those days. And I, I would get up in the middle of the night, and we had one of these stereos. Remember the stereos with the record player on top? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of the young folks like used to have a record player on, and I would I, I would get up in the middle of the night and I you know we didn't I, we didn't have headphones and all that kind of stuff in those days and so I would lay my head against the speaker and turn the radio on really quietly so not to wake my family and I would listen to talk shows or just anything that would try to get my mind off of what was going on, and I turned on this uh, radio station I, I don't know what station it was or who was even speaking. And, uh, and I knew the Bible really well. I, I had been discipled for four years by a guy that, that insisted we read the Bible every day, we pray every day. This is like the disciplines of Christianity were very much in my life. I very much loved Jesus. He dramatically changed my life when I received him at 18. And so I'm laying, I laid my head against this, this speaker, and this man said, through a bunch of static, which I could only hear like every third word, I picked up that he said, God, he said, God hasn't, he read... You know, 2 Timothy 1.6, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and sound mind. I knew the verse really well. He said, some of you think you're going insane. But the truth is, is that you're listening to a spirit of an insanity. And he said, spirits talk to you by giving you their thoughts. That's all he had to say. I'd never, see, I was taught that a Christian could be mentally ill, but a Christian couldn't be demonized. So I was actually taught out of my solution. And so I turned off the radio. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning, snow on the ground, freezing cold. I'm laying on my back in, in the front room, and I, and I say to Jesus, what should I do? I'm in, I'm, I'm in the, this is my third year of not all of this going on. And the Lord said to me, I want you to tell the spirit of fear and the spirit of insanity to leave you. And I'm like, this cannot be this simple. You know, if you have a three and a half year problem, you don't want it to be that simple, right? <laughs> How many of you know exactly what I'm saying? Like, like it would have been nice if you told me this like three years ago, would it be nice? So I'm laying on my back and I say, and I'm desperate, you know, and I say, you spirit of fear and you spirit of, uh, I'm sorry, spirit of uh, insanity and you spirit of fear leave me right now and I'm laying on my back and I've seen many demons by this time I used to see them daily in fact I couldn't be in a public building because I would see demons talking to people and I would see them manipulating people and that's a whole other story but it, it I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that part's over I don't see that happening anymore it lasted about seven years of my life but it did tell me how the spirit world works because I would actually see the spirit world and so um so I'm laying on my back, and I say, you spirit of fear and you spirit of insanity, leave me now. And I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. But it felt like, you know those um, lead things they put on you when you have your teeth x-rayed? It, it felt like, like that, except for on my complete body, and it got up off of me. I didn't see it. I could feel it. And instantly, my mind came back. The first time in three and a half years, I could actually think a thought. Totally clear. And for a solid week, I would think, I would think, okay, I'm going to think about dying just to see if I'm actually well. You know, you've probably done it before. Like, 
am I well or am I just, you know, am I, is it just a psychological thing? And I would think about it, nothing would happen. No anxiety, no panic. I'm like, oh, that thing's gone. And it stayed gone for a week, a solid week. Like every day was so nice. I could eat, I could keep food down. I slept all night. It was like, it was like, it was being like being born again, again, to be honest. And then I was driving home one night, really late at night. It was dark, windy road. Charlie wouldn't remember Rush Creek Road in my Jeep. And I was just so happy. I was just singing and like I was back to my, my, myself. And, and, I, and I said out loud in my Jeep by myself, just kind of externally praying and processing. I said, I'm going to tell everybody about this. And instantly a voice came into my mind and said, if you tell anybody about this, I'm going to kill you. And all the symptoms returned. I couldn't drive. I pulled over on the side of the road, shaking dramatically. My mind was in a mess, trying to figure out how I'm going to get home. And this really quiet voice said to me, does the devil hate you? I'm like, yeah. He said, why didn't he kill you when you were born again so you wouldn't tell anyone about him, about Jesus? I said, I don't know. He said, because he can't. All of his power lies in an illusion. And the only power he has over you is the power you give him. The rest is the journey. I can't, from that day on, I figured out that getting free and staying free were two separate things. And I spent the next three years learning how to stay free. And I came, I, I came up with this phrase that in those days I would say, angels and demons travel at the speed of thought. And I began to learn how to manage my thoughts because I realized that when I put faith, when I put faith in something's about to go wrong, no, let me say it differently so you can receive it. When I, when I started to believe something could go wrong, suddenly I empowered that realm and that realm began to have power over me. And I believe now that fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. I believe that you, you can have a lot of faith in fact, I believe that sometimes men and women have great faith. They grow in faith. You grow from faith to faith, right? And sometimes you take that faith and you suddenly the enemy convinces you to take faith and put it in his kingdom. And some of the most powerful people I've ever met that are having anxiety and panic attacks and having all kinds of demonic problems are people of great faith who put it in the wrong kingdom. Because I don't think that the, that the kingdom of heaven works by faith. I think the spirit world works by faith. The entire spirit world works by faith. In other words, I think that you, you receive from God by faith, but I also think that you receive from the enemy by, enemy by faith, and you determine what kingdom you receive from by who you believe. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff, but I started realizing like when I kept my mind on the Lord and on what he said, and I believed what he said, I lived in perfect peace. 20 seconds later, I could put my mind over here, and in those days, and I have to say, like, I'm way more resilient now, but in those days, it was about 20 seconds. I, if I had 20 seconds over there, I would end up with two days of trying to get rid of the 20 seconds. And so Bill Johnson in those days said, you can't keep a, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest. And I began to learn to survive how to do spiritual warfare. And, um, and so I want to make a couple of statements out of that. And I'll say, here's one. 
The first one is, I don't believe most Christians actually believe in demons. Now, when I say believe in demons, I mean they acknowledge them theologically and philosophically, but when they have a problem, they don't even factor in that it might be coming from the invisible man. So they have a problem, physical, mental, financial, whatever, and they, they go to the doctor. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not an anti-doctor guy or anti-counselor guy. I'm not even an anti-don't-take-medication guy. I'm just saying that you're tri-dimensional. <laughs> if you have a physical problem that's coming from the physical realm, then Jesus said the, the sick need a physician. I believe in supernatural healing, and I believe in doctors. But if you have a demonic problem, you're not going to solve it with a drug. And I'm saying that most Christians don't actually practically believe in a demon. They actually don't actually, especially I'm talking about in, the, in, the Western, in Western culture, we don't actually believe that there's a realm that affects this realm. And maybe at best, we think it's God's realm. So I, I want to just do simple, something simple and say this, that we live, in, as humans, we live in the first heaven. And the first heaven, if you haven't heard the phrases, i just going to kind of, if you don't have Bethel's phrases, you know, I'd just give you some language. God created the heavens and the earth. That, that first heaven is what we see here. We call this the heavens. It's like what you see right here. And then Ephesians 6 says that, that there are principalities and powers in heavenly places. How many know there are no demons in God's heaven? We call that the second heaven. You won't find any phrase second heaven. We, we, we call that second heaven because principalities and powers live in heavenly places, but they don't live in God's heaven. Now, the way we get the numbering system is that Paul said, I knew a man who went to the third heaven. Now, we know that he's talking about himself, but for the sake of this conversation, we're just saying the first heaven is the heaven you see, you live in, all humans live in. The second heaven is the demonic realm, that the demonic realm lives in the second heaven, and then there's the third heaven, and that's the realm that Jesus lives in. And let me say this, it's also the realm that you live in. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a... New creation. The word new there is actually the word prototype. In other words, there's two words for the word in the Greek for the word new. One means like you got a new car, and the other means prototype, never before created. This word means never before created. So when you received Jesus Christ, you became a creature that had never before graced the planet. What I'm getting at is God didn't just cause you to be born again. He caused you to be born as a different creature. That's why the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet of the entire Old Testament, because John wasn't in the kingdom. When you got born again, you got born into the kingdom as a new creation. In other words, God did something new. He didn't do the next thing. He did the new thing. And when he created you new, you are the first creature that we know of, at least biblically, that actually lives in two dimensions simultaneously. You live on earth and in heaven. So you actually live in both dimensions. You live in the first heaven and you live in the third heaven. Now, you don't just live in the third heaven. See, because there's angels and cherubim and, there's, and, and some, some friends of mine that, that are way 
smarter than I am, said that there's actually, in the third heaven, there's actually eight levels to the third heaven. Now, I'm not trying to make a case for that, but I will say this. There's angels, and there's, and there's principalities, and there's powers, not just on the negative side, but also on the positive side, also in God's heaven. And you're seated in heavenly places, but you're seated in he- heavenly places far above every principality and power because you're actually seated on the same throne that Jesus is seated on. And by the way, Jesus is not seated on his throne. He's seated on the throne of David. Isn't that interesting? And you're seated with him. Okay, now the point is, do you live from earth towards heaven? Or do you live heaven to earth? So if you live from earth to heaven, the second heaven has power over the first heaven. Let me say this, before Jesus died on the cross, the second heaven had all power over the first heaven and authority. (laughs) But when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and we rose with him, we went from first heaven authority to third heaven authority and now all authority is under our feet. Metaphorically speaking, the second heaven's under the first heaven and you have authority over what happens in the second heaven. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? But if you don't know what's going on, then you become a, you actually become, you become a victim of the invisible man because you don't actually understand what's happening. So he messes with you when he has no permission to do it. But you give him permission in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, don't give the devil a place, which means you can. And just for Christians that might be in here that you were taught, like the devil can't bother if you're a Christian. Well, first of all, the devil talked to Jesus, so sorry about that. Secondly, 1 John 4 says, Beloved, so that's us, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, for many false prophets have went out in the world. The point is, don't become a false prophet by listening to the wrong spirit. That means you can. Thirdly, you wouldn't need armor if there was no battle. And by the way, you can't have a victory if there's no battle. And you're called called more than a conqueror. That means there's things to conquer. That means you have resistance. Good word, Chris. Thank you for that. No, too late. Too late. I know. I, I, I think that if I don't do anything else today except for convince you that what you know theologically is actually working on your behalf or against you depending on where you're living... And that, 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 that first heaven, that second heaven, okay, so I, I know that I may not have credibility with some of you, but let me tell you that the second heaven can do things like knock pictures off the wall. I'm saying, all I'm saying is, it actually has ability to do physical things in this, in this dimension. And I could tell you things that, if I told you, so those of you that don't know me, you would probably walk out of here thinking he's nuts. But, you know, when I got free, I started helping people get free. You can imagine, I lived with a vengeance for 15 years. I was tormented for three and a half years, spent another three years trying to stay free. And finally, when I got totally free, I'm telling you, like, Charlie Harper, I've known Charlie for, I don't know, almost 40 years, and my house was the house of deliverance. People would come, we'd cast demons out, they'd come back. I don't know if anyone ever got stayed free because they often got repossessed. 
<laughs> but we did deliverances all the time. I had a vengeance for people, I mean, for the, against the enemy, and I had a compassion for people who were tormented. So we learned a lot about how the spirit world worked and the fact that that spirit world really was working on our behalf in the angelic realm and against us in the demonic realm. And it actually affected everything from people's marriages to their, their mental, physical health, to their businesses, to their prosperity or lack of poverty, and so on and so forth. And we began to realize, like, began to realize, like, ignorance is not bliss. And so, Andy asked me to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare. Honestly, not so much my favorite subject anymore, except for what I get in a group of people that looking at me like this. <laughs> and a few shaking their heads, like, I've been there, brother. I'm with you. I totally understand what you're talking about. And um, every time I do any, a talk like this, I just, I just did... Um, three hours in school ministry on spiritual warfare, I get all kinds of notes. Daddy, someone finally gets me. My pastor thinks I'm crazy. My husband thinks I'm nuts. You know, it's like when you hear someone that validates that's real, <laughs> that's really happening, and it's happening to you, it's kind of reassuring, like I'm not crazy. There's actually something real happening to me. And so and I want to just, uh, if you'll turn to Ephesians 6, we'll just pick up a little bit here and see if I can make um, some kind of sense out of this for you. We, um, in Ephesians 6, we call it the sit, walk, stand book. Because in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, Paul says, we're seated in heavenly places. And I love this part of Ephesians. And by the way, lots of theologians believe that the book of Ephesians, which was written by Paul in prison, and by the way, in a, in a specific prison where there was very little light, that most theologians think this book took about six months to pin. So what's really interesting, if you think about it like a chronology, that Paul's actually, in chapter 1 and 2, he's actually in this place with God, where he feels like he's seated in heavenly places with Christ. And you'll re, you'll re, those of us that remember or know the book, you, you'll know that Paul's talking about our authority in Christ and that everything's under our feet and that, you know, that Christ put everything under the feet of the church and that we're, you know, that principalities and powers are all under our feet and it's all about what God's done for us. And so you have two and a half, almost three chapters about your authority in Christ, and what Jesus did for you. And then chapter 3 and 4, Paul says, now walk in the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And we go from sitting to God, to God goes, what are you doing? I'm, I'm sitting. You said sit here till I make your enemies a footfall. It's time for you to work. And so I, now I'm to not just, it's not just about, you know, let me say it this way. The emphasis becomes not grace, not what God did for me, but what God wants to do through me. And I have, there's verses like, 
I was created for good works in Christ Jesus, and I learned that I'm supposed to do something with my heavenly seat, not just hang out and sip suds with the king. When you get to chapter 6, which potentially is six months of Paul writing, the season has changed. And Paul, I would propose to you, begins to experience warfare on a level that he wasn't experiencing when he wrote chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and the end of 5. And he writes this, finally be strong in the Lord. This is verse 10. In the strength of his night, might, put on the form of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The word scheme there, it actually um, comes from a word that means the devil stalks you and he develops a plan by watching your weaknesses. So he doesn't, so just so you know, like the devil's insane, but he's not stupid. And by the way, the devil's not attacking anybody in here because the devil can only be at one place at one time. We're talking about demonic spirits. And so they actually have a plan against you that is predicated on your weaknesses. And he waits for an opportune time as he did for Jesus when Luke 4, after Jesus met the devil in the wilderness, it says that the devil departed for an, until an opportune time. And when Jesus' popularity dropped and the people stopped liking him and, his, you know, and the Pharisees started hating him and Judas wanted to betray him, the devil goes, okay, let's enter in Judas because he's got our plan in mind. And so Paul calls that an evil day. We call it a bad hair day. <laughs> okay, thank you, Chris. <laughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord, put on the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the devil, the schemes of the devil. So now we go from sitting to walking to standing. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness. And by the way, world forces of darkness only met, only go after world changers. So it's a little bit of a compliment when a world force of darkness is after you because you need to be doing something. <laughs> Some people never have spiritual warfare because they're, <laughs> they're not doing anything worth resisting. <laughs> I call them the row, row, row your boat gently down the stream Christians. Yes. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Rulers against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil, resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Um, there's a few things I want to just pick up from here. And the one is, if you go to verse 12 in your translation, do you see it says, for our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against, what's the word yours uses? Mine uses rulers, New American Standard. I think principalities. Some versions say principalities. That word rulers there is really interesting word because it actually comes from the word, no, it actually is the word origin or beginnings. Now, I know this is going to sound unrelated, but if you turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, I'll read you something that may surprise you. Verse, chapter 4, verse 15. 
You yourselves also know, Paul's writing to the Philippians, you yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, at the first preaching of the gospel, you're like, where are you going? The word, two words, first preaching of the gospel is the identical word, rulers. <laughs> okay. You're, okay, like, what, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, first preaching, rulers, is the same Greek word. It actually means origins. Okay, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say there's a principality called origin. What does the principality called origin do? Re-preaches who you are and where you come from. I propose that evolution is coming from a spirit called origin. It's redefining the origin because it doesn't want you to be made in the image of God. So it creates a new preaching, a new doctrine that says you came from a big bang, you're from amoeba, you crawled out of the ocean, you became an ape, you, and the reason it's doing that is not for science's sake, it's for the fact that it retells the story of creation so you are not children of God. The devil doesn't want you to be children of God, so it uses science, preaches a different gospel, and and it, there's a spirit called origin that actually retells the story. I propose that origin is behind abortion. That it's retelling the story of when life starts. It says that's not a human. Not a human first trimester. It's not a human second trimester. Well, what is it? It's a fetus. It looks human. It's not human. And then it convinces very intelligent people that that totally makes sense. Have you ever wondered why super smart people believe ridiculous things? It's because it's not human. You can't talk them out of it because they didn't get talked into it. I'd propose to you, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but too late. I'd propose to you that the spirit origin is behind your gender identification. And it says, you, weren't, you, you were born a man, but you should have been born a woman and so on and so forth. Even though it's against your genealogy, even though it's against your biology, even though it's against your physiology, origin goes, yes, but it makes perfect sense. And Supreme Court people and scientists and all these brilliant minds come up with ridiculous conclusions because it's not about the intellect. It's about a spirit that makes totally irrational things seem totally rational. And then the people who are totally rational are the crazy ones. The people who think that's a baby, you're the crazy ones. Because I'm telling you, like this is what it means for spirits to influence the world. Things that don't make sense at all make total sense to people who are under a spirit that's retelling the story. He's preaching a different gospel. Now, there are other kinds of warfare that's going on too. Have you ever had a completely irrational conversation with your employees? That they are totally convinced that you said this, and like you would think, listen, 
I don't have a perfect memory, but I wouldn't say that in a hundred years. And they're convinced you said that. I used to walk into restaurants when I was super sensitive, and I would see a spirit sticking his, his head in the side of someone's head. And I could hear him say, she hates your guts. And then he'd walk over, he would walk over, he would move over to the other person, that, the woman, and say, he hates you. He thinks you're ugly. What was he doing? Inciting people against one another. And then he would step back and watch them fight and laugh about it. This is the reality of a world that's invisible but tangible. This world is invisible, but it's tangible. In that it's influencing the realm of the visible. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says that everything that was made was made by things that are invisible. So sometimes you have things going on in your life, and you're like, what in the heck is going on? And you're like, and you don't even factor in, this might be coming from a whole other realm. 